0: Disclosure. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Hey, everyone. Ben Keedy here with the Wealth Crypto Podcast coming at you on a Saturday night. Hope y'all are having a great weekend. This next guest is Naj Kidwai. This was a great podcast. I really like this one. Um, He has done a lot of, well, pretty much everything. So he is an entrepreneur, a founder. He's a VC. He's a board member. He's an investor. He's been in crypto for a while, since about 2016, if I recall. And he has done a lot and seen a lot. So super interesting conversation. Uh, his most recent biggest project is he is actually one of the applicants for the Spot Bitcoin ETF here in the States. And we get into that, obviously, amongst a lot of other stuff. So
1: hope you enjoy. Thanks. And we're live. Naj, what's up? Hey Ben, uh great to be here and uh thanks for inviting me on the podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um I'm glad we were able to make it work. Uh halfway across the world.
1: You're you're in Dubai, right? <laughs> I, I am based in Dubai. I think it's yeah. 8 p.m. where you are, and it's yeah. eight a.m. where I am. So uh, yeah, it, uh, uh this podcast
0: has been fun just because I've connected literally with people all over the world, which has been kind of funny. A couple people in Australia. Um, I think you're the first in the Middle East, actually, uh technically, but um
1: yeah, I was from a, a time zone in Australia, so
0: uh, oh, that? it's it's pretty deep. Like we're I'm either doing it like 7 a.m. and it's you know nine or ten or eleven over there. Like we we managed to be able to get it done. Um, one guy, uh, Josh Skigali, he's been on twice. He runs um, like a decentralized stablecoin slash lending platform, which is kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Make it happen. It's uh, 2023, so there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, But maybe just start with a little for, you know, listeners, people who don't know you, tell me a little bit about, you know, your background, you know, what you've done, how you got into crypto, and we can just kind of go from there.
1: Great. So um, born and raised in the UK, I've been a tech entrepreneur for 30 odd years now. I used to be the youngest guy in the room. Now I feel like (laughs) I'm definitely the oldest guy in the room. Um, I uh, was a uh, co-founder of a company called Nuance, which is a world leader in enterprise speech recognition uh, that went public in 2000. I was also one of the co-founders of a, an online bank in the UK called Egg.com, uh, which also went public in uh, 2000. Um, and then I founded an online video play um, business. So Think of it as Google search for video content, exited okay. that. And then for about five years between 2005 and uh, sorry, 2000 2005. I traveled the world and I did every Michelin star on earth. Oh, so, nice. that, so that was probably the best job I ever had. Um, yeah. but it's good for your liver. It's not good for your waistline. And oh uh, yeah, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And I basically spent five years traveling around the world eating at you know amazing restaurants. Yeah, uh, and then um, actually um, moved to Dubai mm. uh, only for weather and tax and lifestyle reasons sure. yeah. <laughs> in 2010, and then basically decided to do three things. So I was investing in private equity, mm-hmm. so uh, the usual sort of platforms, uh, KKR, HarbourVest, that type of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, also in venture uh, as an LP in a bunch of funds, and then um, doing direct investments, right? So about 100 of those, everything mm-hmm. from AI to e-commerce to neurotech. Uh, to artificial intelligence, um, and accidentally got involved in crypto in sort of 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also uh, doing quite a bit of work with Alibaba and helping oh, okay. them uh, launch their cloud business in India um, in sort of 2015, 2016. And that was my exposure to sort of crypto. I had an exit, and uh, one of uh, the shareholders was struggling to pay me uh, due to capital controls in China. So yeah. I actually paid a very meaningful amount of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and that was the start of the journey <laughs> in sort of 2015, 2016. Nice to yeah. see the price today as well. So, sure. um, you know, and that really led to uh, sort of getting involved in this space, understanding this space and got involved in the ICO boom, right, where you really didn't have to be good. You just had to show up. So you got your sort of 10x, 50x, 100x. Sure. You get a thousand x in some instances, yeah. uh, but those days are well and truly over, right? Um, <laughs> the SEC has made sure of that. <laughs> yeah, so you know those days are over. And then um, I had the you know good fortune of basically um, investing quite heavily in this space. Um, I was also the chairman and co-founder of Crypto One Acquisition Corp in 2021, uh, which was the world's first crypto SPAC, uh, where we okay. raised. Two Thirty million dollars, and the thesis was really to go and find the Coinbase of emerging markets. That then led to what we're doing today, which is we have a five hundred million dollar digital assets focused secondaries fund, mm-hmm. which invests all over the world and provides liquidity to founders, to shareholders, and to funds that are seeking liquidity. And in addition to that, I'm also launching a spot Bitcoin ETF, which ah. is focused on Asian distribution and you know we're targeting uh, a 1 billion plus aum to get started and okay. uh, the uh filing the s1 and, and hoping that that gets approved uh early next year is that uh is that bitcoin etf going to be registered here in the us yeah or? yeah yeah. yeah. It's registered in the us so we're going to list that uh hopefully on nasdaq okay um basically um Take the model. So there's 13 current ETF filings uh, in yeah. the US. Everyone's and, like, uh. <laughs> yeah. So you know, our, I mean, nobody can call it. But what I would say, based on all of the sort of uh, information out there and our own research, uh, there's a very strong probability that's going to happen in the first quarter of 2024. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know, um, I think it's a long time coming. You're going to probably see on the conservative side about $50 billion of inflows um, yeah. into Bitcoin on the back of that institutional um, approvals um, to anywhere up to maybe $200 billion, right? And there's yeah. a lot of parallels to sort of silver ETFs and gold ETFs and what happened to those. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, the crypto 2024 is hopefully, you know, <laughs> the sort of winter is over and, and yeah. we're back in a bull run. and. It's very interesting, you know. Just waking up this morning, that Reuters are saying that the next bull run cycle is going to see Bitcoin to sort of 500k, uh, which obviously I think we'd all be very happy with. But Great, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think um, you know you're going to see at least a three x from here, right? Uh, which is typical of sort of halving cycles, right? Yeah. Uh, so if you even took out the ETF, you took out the sort of rapid institutional adoption. You're still likely to see a two and a half to three eggs, right? So you, you're gonna yeah. definitely see a hundred K Bitcoin in in 2024, probably yeah. in the first half, if not that, but you will
0: yeah, see it. I mean, it's it's gonna be kind of nuts. I was talking to a guy in my day job today who runs a wealth firm, and uh he's not a Bitcoiner or, or a crypto guy at all. Um and he was just he had heard that I did this podcast and was curious like what my general thoughts are. And I kind of, I guess, meandered my way through it, but it generally seems price action will be positive, right? Um, I'm curious to see what that actual institutional flow number is going to be, because, you know, if you are in a pension fund, buying an ETF is a lot easier than buying spot Bitcoin and, you know, figuring out how to custody that yourself or go to Anchorage or whatever, Um it's I don't know. It's going to be interesting. And then I think the second and third order effects of that is what happens to Ethereum, what happens to the altcoins, like um, what is the next sort of bull cycle defined by? I don't know if you have any
1: thoughts about that, but um, I think you know. I mean, that what is that? Just under ten thousand coins, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a saying in our industry, probably you know nine thousand nine hundred ninety are uh, you know shit coins, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know uh so i would say like you know there's probably several coins that really matter and obviously bitcoin and ethereum are probably 80 percent of that and then you've got sort of you know solana and everyone else and Mm -hmm. so the reality is that you know um you've got to have utility right you've got to have a real business case for for what you're doing and if pension funds and insurance companies are going to get involved in an asset class then it has to have some sort of utility right they're not no, they're not basically looking for speculative returns, right? Yeah. So if you think about in the US, you know, RIAs probably control about five trillion dollars of allocation, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very big number. BlackRock has about ten trillion dollars under assets as well. So that's fifteen trillion dollars just there. And then you know, if you think about sort of allocation, which is now being suggested by these RIAs at let's say one to three percent of yeah. your you know four hundred one k or whatever. It's a big then number. By day- it's a very, very large number, right? Yeah. And, and that has to be backed up by physical reserves on an ETF. So if you also look there 70 percent of all Bitcoin hasn't moved in the last year, right? Yeah. so the, the reality is, if you want to buy Bitcoin now, you know it's going to come with a premium, right? Yeah. And, and you know we've seen price action. I think in September, end of September, we were looking at Bit- Bitcoin around 25k, mm-hmm. and, and yesterday we hit 42k, right? Yeah. So and this year, just alone, Bitcoin has been up 183%. So the numbers, yeah, are, yeah I mean, these are very, I mean, think about it, right? You know, you go to your bank and your bank gives you 0.25% and they think you're doing you a favor, right? And then yeah, yeah. On, the, on the other side, uh, returns of that, that stature are just astronomical. So I think, you know, those types of returns going forward also are unlikely, right? But you are going to see <clears throat> sort of 2x, 3x on Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it's interesting that, you know, BlackRock also filed an Ethereum ETF, right? So yeah. it's interesting that, you know, they also see that as a meaningful institutional grade asset class, right? And yeah BlackRock's uh, track record is, I think, 575 ETFs yeah.
0: approved, undeniable, um, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that was on a technicality or something too, you know, if I, if I remember the story correctly. But, um, yeah, soon. I remember when BlackRock filed a couple months ago, and that became public. I was like, "Oh, they, they know."
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think our knowledge is that you know it's interesting if you see Larry think, you know, uh, what two and a half years ago being quite anti-crypto to now becoming the sort of uh, poster boy of uh, yeah. of digital assets, right? Wherever he yeah. has an opportunity, he's saying this is a real asset class, has utility, has meaning. So he's yeah. actually become a best salesman for crypto, and yeah you couldn't ask for a for a better uh, advocate of a ten trillion dollar business, yeah, uh, basically uh, telling the world that you know uh, digital assets are here to stay, and it's a meaningful asset uh, class and if you look at the last bull cycle, you know the total value of digital assets was like three trillion, and mm-hmm. uh, we're around point four trillion today, so I think with all of the good news that is coming, um, all of the institutional adoption, the ETFs, the halving, um, you know, you're gonna hopefully see this asset class, I think in the next decade surpass gold, right? Which is sort yeah. of ten billion today. Yeah. So um, you know, um th- there's a long way to go. Um, but sure. we're on the trajectory for sure.
2: Yeah, it's um it's interesting. Like
0: when I first got in two thousand seventeen it you know and even that was not early you know but i guess to, for
2: some people maybe it was but um it it was
0: it was very niche and it kind of looked you know everyone kind of looked like they were trying to get rich to a degree, you know um and then you didn't see as many i feel like real world use cases of to your point earlier about like what does this stuff actually do you know uh i feel like we're starting to see that now like i work more in the financial services space obviously and you're hearing projects all the time about tokenization and like um you know that's a huge opportunity whether it's public you know, listed stocks or probably more interestingly, if you get liquidity out of alternative assets, maybe you're probably seeing something in your secondary fund like that, but um, there's, I mean, financial services is going to see a lot like uh, another thing in wealth management is going to T plus one, you know, settlement in the U S they should probably just go T instantaneous. Right. Cause like the technology is pretty much there. So we'll have instant settlement for, all transactions, I would assume, relatively soon. Um, but yeah, it, I, we're actually like starting to see the application of the technology in a way that I don't think was there before.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, um, sort of real world asset tokenization, I think is fundamentally going to change everything, right? And even Larry Fink has been talking about, you know, the tokenization of securities. So, mm-hmm. so that I think last week, you know, the Swiss bank actually settled some bond transactions, right? uh using sort of uh you know dlt technology and yeah so you're now starting to see real utility institutional grade settlement in in financial services and i think that you know obviously most of retail doesn't get to hear about that that's not their sort of yeah understanding but i think as that sort of migrates into retail um where people can actually you know settle you know there is no reason for t plus one t plus three yeah uh, you Able to do that instantaneously, and that's been the power. I think that's driven a lot of stablecoin usage, right? Particularly yeah. usd USDT. So you know, living in um, Dubai, right? You know, I mean, um, this is a I mean, we've had over four hundred billion dollars of trading volume uh, in the UAE. Uh, sorry, in the in the Middle East region, sure. uh, this long. um and you know, um, you can uh, pay for your car. You know, you want to yeah. buy an. Lamborghini, you can buy that with USDT, USDC. You can In, in Dubai, you can pay your school fees, you can pay yeah. for your house, pay for your rent, whatever it may be, now using these assets, right? So the reality is, as we all know, moving money around is time-consuming, is expensive, um, it requires a ton of paperwork these days, uh, particularly if you're moving digital large assets. To digital yeah. Yeah, 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 large sums of um, I mean, I can give you an example. Just last year alone, I had wired uh, three hundred thousand dollars from Dubai to my US Delaware uh, entity, um, which had the word crypto in it. Yeah. Uh, and four months, the money just disappeared. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just like you know, my bank who sent it said, uh, "Oh, the correspondent bank got it." The correspondent bank said, "You know, the receiving bank received it," and everybody was blaming everybody else. And you know, the money just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, Four months later, one day, you know, there's a, a sort of a credit back into your account and nobody could explain where the money had been, who had it, you know. Now, at the end of the day, losing $30 is one thing, right? But you yeah. know, losing $1,000 is actually quite meaningful. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think um, real worst, you know, real use case utility, um, when you look at things like Bitcoin, truly as a, a store of value. A hedge to inflation, and particularly in economies where inflation is rampant, uh, like Argentina, or Salvador, yeah. country, and in Africa, uh, Pakistan, places like that. Um, and you know, Pakistan is a good example where you know it's the sixth largest crypto economy in the world, right? But oh, it's all it really? yeah, um, and it's all a grey market, right? Because yeah, yeah. The currency is you know, inflation is so rampant in Pakistan. Sure. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, to the dollar it was like 120 rupees. Now it's nearly 300. Oh, so yeah. so that, you know, your purchasing power in Pakistan is becoming less and less. And then having something like uh, Bitcoin um, is actually quite meaningful for that population. So yeah. But there's a yeah. lot of things that people just don't see right. Um, um, what's happening in these emerging markets, and and how beneficial crypto has been. Particularly for remittances as well, right? Using stable coins yeah. uh, to send money home, right? Um, which has a lot more value than the currency getting devalued, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was I was actually going to this is a good segue because I was going to ask since you're you know operating globally, like one of the stories I've heard a lot of globally is the stablecoin uh, story. Particularly, I mean, I had heard it mostly coming out of Latin America and Argentina, Venezuela, stuff like that, but um, you know, Pakistan uh africa parts of it for sure like
2: um it's interesting because in those countries the relative inflation to the u.s
0: is you know stratospheric right like argentina's peso is worthless people can't get out of it fast enough but it's interesting to me that they view the dollar as you know stable even though we're going through our own you know pretty intense inflationary uh experience right now and if i extrapolate that out further i there, i think there's a good chance that the fed might like the idea of exporting treasuries globally super efficiently to keep borrowing costs down in the us so you know is it just a temporary trade like you, the us can't print money for the whole world or i mean we're probably going to try but um, i don't know it's uh it's an interesting Catch 22, and it, it, like to me, I always come back to Bitcoin, so you know it can't mess with the 21 million hard cap. it's there. Um, the U.S. can print as many tokenized treasury bills as they want, so we'll see. Um, but for Argentines today, sure, uh, dollars are better than pesos today.
1: Yeah, I think you know de-dollarization is also an interesting topic, right? I think you yeah. know the U.S. national debt now is is something ludicrous, like one thirty-three,
0: thirty-four trillion or so.
1: Yeah, but I mean, just equate that by per the hour, it's oh, $1.2 yeah. dollars. So yeah, it's like by the time this podcast is over, right, it'll be up by another one billion plus dollars, right? So. Yeah. I think when people talk about the the challenges of the US, and there are many, right? But it is still the largest capital market in the world, right? right? Um, I think what's interesting is that geopolitically, I think um, there are changes afoot, right? So, BRICS, right, which has sort of extended its club, right? So, adding countries uh, from the Middle East like (coughs) UAE, Saudi Arabia, um, and Egypt. Ending that club, right? Uh, people wanting to get off the dollar, right? So mm-hmm. now settlement like between India and the UAE happening in Indian rupees for oil. Yeah. Um, uh, Chinese and the Saudis uh, are dumping US treasury bills, right? And they're definitely not buying anymore, right? So yeah. uh, the challenge also for a lot of these countries is structural, right? So probably 50% of Saudi investments are in the US in the S&P 500. Yeah, So extracting that out of Saudi Arabia is not, e- uh, sorry, out of the U.S. is not easy, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there's, you got to balance the ledger somehow, you know. Uh. So the challenge is, and what's interesting is that even when people are talking about stable coins, they're still pegged to the dollar, right? Yep. So it's not like it's pegged to something else. It's still pegged to the dollar. So you are definitely going to see a digital dollar. You're going to see a digital pound. You're going to see, you know, um, mm-hmm. digital durham. The the challenge is also around CBDCs, right? And what's the end goal for governments, right? Because ultimately, they're going to try that, tie that into some sort of tax collection, right? They're going to tie oh, that yeah. into I mean, in the UK now, um, it's it's very, very challenging to do anything with cash, right? They're trying to turn it into yeah. a cash society, right? You know, yeah. you go to the bank and, you know... I went to withdraw some money in the summer and and the bank said, actually come back tomorrow. And and it wasn't a relatively modest amount of money. So the banks aren't even carrying cash, right? And you know, it's your money, right? And then if you want to deposit more than I think it's like two thousand pounds, right? Two and a half thousand USD, it's it's the Spanish Inquisition, right? You know, where did the money come from? Where is it going? That's so it, it makes me laugh that you know it's my money, right, which actually allows your bank to function, and now you're asking me where my money is going, and more importantly, where am I spending my money, right? So, yeah. no, it's uh, it's uh, it's quite frustrating. But um, you know, the bigger point is that stablecoins are still being pegged to the US dollar, so USDT, USDC in particular, and I think USDT Tether now is probably the eighth largest holder of US Treasuries globally. Well,
0: yeah, that, that goes back to my Federal Reserve point. In the Treasury earlier is like, if they get a yield-bearing tokenized Treasury moving around, like people gobble that up all day. Like, <laughs> so it's it's an interesting
2: time,
1: I think, when it comes to sort of, uh, you know, the the whole uh, concept of will the dollar survive? Will the dollar still be the global reserve currency of the world? And What's interesting is in 1977, 78 percent of global reserve currency was the US dollar. Today, I think it's 47, 48 percent. So mm-hmm. there has been a rapid decline, um, and I think people are motivated to try and find an alternative, right? I think yeah. if you look at it, you know, uh, like it or not, uh, obviously you know what Russia did in Ukraine, um, uh, but the sanctions of uh, taking uh, the money, the reserves, needs, yeah. yeah so yep. it, I mean, you know, call a spade a spade, right? You can't yeah. do that, right? That's, that's just basically stealing, right? And yeah everyone, and- I think, woke up the next
0: day because at the time that was viewed as like a nuclear option, like taking their reserve. Yeah. Uh, what was that on the Swift system? And and then they just did. And everyone was like holding their breath, like, oh shit, what happens next? And then thank God I guess nothing escalated. But you know, even if you are a US ally, like you kind of have to look at that and be like, are we really comfortable leaving tens of billions of dollars kind of floating around here that can just
1: be pulled? Like, And I think that, you know, particularly now, part of the world, right, you know, and obviously with, with what's happening in Palestine and Israel right now as well, right, yeah. you know, the U.S. is sort of involved in two wars, and, you know, if China goes to Taiwan, that will be three. And I think Jana Yellen saying that we can fund three wars globally yeah. is very different.
3: <laughs> <right, you>
1: <laughs> Did you okay. hear uh Cardi B's
0: uh like outburst uh, a couple of oh. weeks back? Oh um, on a smaller scale, uh New York City, I guess, is going through a budgetary crisis, similar to like everyone apparently. But um Cardi B went off and did like a TikTok reel about how are you, you know, cutting, you know, after school programs, schools and education, healthcare, et cetera. But then you're gonna go
1: and like start three wars? Like, I don't get it. I mean, this is always the case, right? You know, so yeah. as somebody who's from the United Kingdom, you know, uh, we have no money for schools, we have no money for uh, hospitals, we have no money for roads, but we seem to miraculously be able to print yeah. money for us, right? So, yeah, it's uh, you know, um, it, it, I mean, geopolitically, uh, you know, those games will continue, right? You know, it's in yeah. the National... Countries to uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, facilitate these outcomes, right? Which only benefits you know, let's say defense contractors, right? So vested interest. Think, well, you know, I'm not giving you financial advice, but you know, probably you know, uh, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, yeah. are probably pretty tops right now, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, but yeah, I, I I think the the biggest problem is
2: that um, these um,
1: these geopolitical uncertainties uh, don't bode well right for for the global economy, particularly if they get out of hand, right so oh, for sure yeah, you know, the price of oil today is actually going down because the u s is pumping a lot more oil yeah but, you know tomorrow that can also change pretty quickly, right so we can mm-hmm. go from eighties back to one sixty right All it takes is Iran yeah. or a couple or couple of twists <laughs> yeah. right and, and and the question is for those countries if they feel like you know hey i have distractions at home maybe i'll just go and make some more noise somewhere else right um yeah. and you know um so i think for all of these countries going back to the point on what happened with russia you know the uae uh saudi all of these guys probably woke up and said well today i'm your ally tomorrow right it could be very yeah different and you know, I think the world order is also requires change, right? Why do we have five countries on the Security Council that can, that are all legacy that can still decide, you know, uh, to veto anything? And and the irony is that Russia is also on that Security Council. yeah. And, and unilaterally, I mean, you know, it's like Belgium saying that, you know, the Russian reserves are going to be used for aid to Ukraine. Uh, you know, Morally you can make the argument of whatever you wish, but the reality is legally, who is Belgium to say that I can take Russian assets and give them to Ukraine? There is no legal process, there's no due process. So I think, you know, unfortunately, it's not about, you know, is Russia right or wrong. It's about you just can't take somebody's money without a going through and consequences. And I think for the US. That's going to hurt them in the medium to long term, because I think everybody now knows that, you know, today I'm your friend, tomorrow you can cut me out of Swift, right? And I think, you know, people are now genuinely looking to build alternatives to sort of say, yeah, you know, we still want to have the status quo, but if tomorrow you do do that, at least I have vehicles and infrastructure that allows me still to trade and, and move money around. Well, yeah, so I think. Yeah, that's yeah I mean, a... even like getting away from the sovereign
0: nation state level, like you saw this lesson apply, just like having options with uh, the Canadian trucker protests in Canada during COVID. You know, they were shutting down banks because, you know, they were donating to a political party that or political protests rather that the uh, establishment didn't quite agree with, um, which I think is a horrifying thing to do i can safely make that opinion but um having options you know being self-sovereign decentralized able to transact peer-to-peer i think really is only a good thing i mean they're always going to leverage the boogeyman of like terrorism and drug dealing and stuff like that and child trafficking etc that stuff happens today
1: in u.s dollars already you know Um, I mean, by the way, that is the de facto currency, right, for, I think, what is it, like 90 odd percent of U.S. dollar bills have traces of cocaine, right? So, so, you know, pretty big numbers, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, maybe getting out of the geopolitical conversation, don't want to get in any trouble here. Um, What, uh, going back to the ETF, so you want to list in the U.S., uh, but Target, Asia, what's behind yeah, so
1: that? Yeah, so, um, you know, we we saw, uh, obviously, BlackRock doing their filing in June, and that then led to the several other providers on Wall Street, the biggest names, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Franklin Templeton, Fidelity, and, and, and many others. And I think there's now, as of right now, 13 filings for mm-hmm. um, Yeah, when BlackRock also Two weeks ago, filed for an Ethereum spot, right? So, uh, which has seen the price of uh, Ethereum rally from sort of fifteen hundred to two thousand two hundred, right? I mean, right in the in the the last couple of weeks. Um, Our view is that um, in many ways um, there is an opportunity um, to take a uh, an ETF Mm. um, which traditionally hasn't done as well as a product in Asia, right? But I think. Challenge and you know I have this challenge in my own household where you know um, my wife would turn around and say well you know how how do I buy Bitcoin how do I hold Bitcoin how do I sell Bitcoin what happens if I lose the private keys you know God forbid if you're not around right and that is a big challenge for a lot of households right and yeah. if you think about you know uh, the soccer mom right you know yeah. um, also are you know moms that are working are independent financially. Uh, That also want exposure to this asset class, right? So, um, what's the safest way of doing that in some way, shape, or form? Mm -hmm. And an ETF, I think, as a model to give you that exposure, to give you those returns without having to worry about, am I going to lose these, you know, uh, how to customize things and and all of that. So, we feel that actually uh, the sort of, uh, you know, the numbers of crypto users in Asia about 250 million, 50 million in the US, and then about 100 million between Europe and Latin America. So even though the purchasing power is uh, more modest in Asia, countries like Vietnam and, and Indonesia, but the reality is that the uh, adoption, uh, the pace of adoption, uh, the volume of trading is much higher. That's why if you yeah. look at coins, trading volume is maybe 10% of global trading volume on a good day, right? Yeah. Seven, 10%. Binance obviously had north of fifty percent, and you know we've all seen uh sort of what's happening with Binance over the last couple of weeks with CZ. Yeah, sort of, I, you know, guilty
0: now under house yeah. arrest in the U.S. He had um, sort of the Icarus moment; he flew a little too close to the sun, and then they clipped his wings a little bit.
1: Yeah, but it just shows the power of the SEC and the reach of the SEC. Yeah. right. CZ was actually living in Dubai, right? And yeah. Um, But, you know, voluntary uh, went to the US, right, Uh, wanting to basically give uh, finance, you know, a future, right? Otherwise, I think in the US for sure. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, even in the US, I think, you know, CZ will do some jail time, right? You know, how long that is, I think jury is out, but he is definitely going to do some jail time. (laughs) And I think, you know, um, a $4.2 billion fine, it's a lot of money, but. In the scheme of things, of like Bank of America and Credit Suisse and others, slap on the mean, wrist, yeah, you know, it's a slap on the wrist, right? Yeah. Um, so I think you know, Binance, uh, um from a trading volume perspective, you know, will it be as big and will it continue to be as big? Um, I think it's debatable, right? Um, you know, uh, because there are some cultural issues at Binance as well as operational issues, right, um, to to address. Uh, but then you know that gives. Regulated platforms a great opportunity to to expand. So when you look at Coinbase, actually all of the ETFs have Coinbase listed as a custody partner, right? Yeah. As a share partner. So in fact, you know, you're going to see. It's nice to see Coinbase's share price also go from sort of, you know, I mean, April 2022 is like 42 bucks, right? And yeah, now you know, 140 bucks, right? I mean, what a return, right? I mean. As good as crypto, right? And uh, the stock has sort of, you know, gone up by three hundred percent in the last year alone. So our view is that um, taking a, a an ETF, uh, providing distribution in Europe, um, and you know, uh, trying to build a sort of BlackRock for crypto for Asia uh, is something that you know we're excited to to go out and build. And I think our experience is having done the world's first crypto SPAC, having a meaningful yeah. digital platform. Um, you know, gives us a good understanding of the power of regulation. I think, you know, in Asia, the NASDAQ and the NYC brand is well-respected. So, you know, the big thing is that, you know, people aren't going to run away with their money. Uh, You're here for the long term, you have the right systems and processes and procedures in place. Um, So I think, you know, um, we, we feel very, very confident. We've assembled a very stellar team that has A lot of experience around risk, compliance, regulation, um, and obviously having been involved in crypto since sort of 2015, 2016, it's a bit like dog years, you know, I feel a little bit old, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they measure in
0: in uh, bear market cycles, right? So um, you've been through a.
1: Yeah, we've seen the good times. We've seen the bad times, right? So at the end of the day, right, this is like any industry that's been created. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Um, But I think you know a ten trillion dollar asset class, which hopefully this will become in the next sort of you know uh, three to five years, yeah, is is something really meaningful, right? That means it's not going to disappear. It means that you know institutions are now doing business on 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 the blockchain um are issuing tokens bonds are getting issued you know so all of that stuff is is just more infra that's being built right on on yeah. on the platforms so our view is that you know <clears throat> asia obviously a lot of people have uh not formal banking right because they don't you know just a lot of people that have mobile phones they just have more infrastructure that is suited um everybody has a wallet of some sort right which can be leveraged sure. for crypto as well. and you know i think when you look at what x is trying to become right which is sort of uh, you know with elon musk trying to build a, everything app, yeah yeah like a wechat right but i think he's yeah. got other challenges now with you know i mean their the business model was advertising right and now with <laughs> so sort of, you know uh, yeah well he uh, he blew that up uh this last week <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I it, it's it, it, I don't know if we can use the same language, right? But yeah. you know, so you know, go and F yourself, right? Uh yeah. you know, to, to the CEO of Disney
0: and and I mean all, it, it, what an all-time just like great moment in business. Like it will be a case study at business school forever. But
1: um I mean, look, you know, at the end of the day, if you're the world's richest man, you can probably say go and yeah. fuck yourself right? And yeah. uh but the reality is that um You know, um, is that basically, hey, I don't really care because my model's not going to be built on advertising going forward. My model is actually going to be built on services and and taking transaction fees or a subscription model of some sort. Um, You know, he obviously knows better what what that strategy looks like. I think the the challenge is that, you know, Asia is very different to the US just from a psyche perspective, the way that they consume, the way they buy things. So um, it is going to require a bit of a cultural shift. doesn't mean sure. that that's possible. But, um, you know, I, I think in China, people just don't carry cash, right? That's just the way the society... Is, is, that,
0: is that partially government-driven um, by the Communist uh, Party, or do people just prefer to run mobile digital for everything?
1: Mobile digital, right? So I think, you know, WeChat, when, when yeah. that sort of really took off, and then Alipay, when that took off, you know, so for the last 15, 20 years, people have become very, very comfortable sure. using the, the, the digital device to make payments yeah and so i whenever I go to china i mean there's just one doesn't carry cash right yeah, uh, yeah. everything for uh on your digital device while in the u s that is not the case, right People still carry cash, people still carry credit cards um, oh, so I'. <Okay>. So i think you know that that structural change in the u s does require uh some cultural change yeah uh but you know if anybody can drive that elon you know don't bet against him <laughs>
3: making that yeah happen. yeah.
1: Um, uh, what so when
0: when you look at an e t f in asia do you are you trying to i mean do you have a view on
1: institutional ownership versus retail like do you care or um it, yeah we do care i mean it's a great question i think you know um we're definitely uh, looking to partner more on the institutional side than the retail yeah. side because yeah. So i think the retail side it, it again requires a little bit of education right so even mm. in places like hong kong and singapore those products haven't done traditionally as well right sure. uh, i think something like uh, bitcoin just because of the interest there's an element of you know fomo um, you know everybody's heard of, of 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 crypto not everybody's heard of you know, a lot of those uh, ETS were quite, you know, specific in in product nature, which would not necessarily appeal to a retail audience. Yeah. This time, every home has probably heard of Bitcoin, right? Uh, has heard. heard of the good news and yeah. You no, know, I mean, I remember when I was in the U.S. Um, when the stimulus checks were going out under Biden, right? Oh um, yeah. Uh, you know, every Uber I was getting into, every car I was in, you know, if, if a driver heard me, you know, on a conference call and realized I was in the crypto space, they would say, Do you think I should use my stimulus check to go and buy Bitcoin <laughs> right? Or Ethereum or yeah. some sort of. So I think <clears throat> a lot of that money actually went on, uh, on crypto, right? So, yeah. Well, and then unfortunately,
0: we had the year of bad news and, um, you know, SBF and Terra Luna and, um, uh,
1: celsius celsius uh, maybe, yeah uh, three arrows and i mean uh, the good news is i think a lot of that is now flushed out of the system right so, oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> so
1: i think that that carries now um a, a level playing field i think brian armstrong described it well it's finance is done there's a line in the sand it's it's all out of the way right we can now build cleanly yeah um so i think uh going back to your question um Probably less retail, but there will be a chunk of retail. I think it's going to definitely be more institutional. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the players in the US that have filed these ETFs are going to be very much focused on the US. The opportunity for sure. is yeah. going to be, uh, that that is going to keep them busy. And I think, yeah. you know, my experience, you know, having worked in emerging markets now for 30 years. Is, is something that, you know, these are markets that have their own dynamics, they have their own culture, they have their own distribution models, yep. which is slightly you know, different from the U.S. So I think we have a good understanding of how to take the best of, you know, uh, the U.S. and basically adapt that product for uh, yeah. Asia Asian distribution. distribution. Um, so I would say, yeah, probably I- I'd say a 60-40 split towards institution. Okay. Sure. And again, yeah. that will vary by geography. Singapore and Hong Kong have different dynamics to places like Thailand and Middle East, which also are sure. different.
0: Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, there's um, I mean, hashtags is probably going to run a pretty similar playbook for Latin America. Yeah. Um, so I, I had uh, Marcelo on earlier this summer. Um and would love to get them back on the calendar for probably mid to end of January, you know. Um so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, one I guess one curiosity of mine is just um and I've talked about this before on the podcast, but like generally in the West, we're kind of I guess complacent with our fin- financial services, you know. Generally, you know, currencies are stable. You can get a loan generally if you're, you know capable and qualified type thing but um you know the global south asia all these other places like they're much more crypto native than your average consumer in the u.s for example um and i'm just curious to see what that dynamic kind of looks like going forward in the future um like will that make
2: will it make web3 easier for you know everyone but the
0: u.s like i, I don't know um we'll see
1: it, it, it's a fair observation. I mean, look, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that there are 50 million crypto users in the United States, right? So there's nearly yeah. 20% population, right? And and we're just getting started, right? So if you think yeah. about that, the soccer mom uh, audience is is still not there with crypto in the United States, right? So when that comes, that's going to bring another 100 million people, right, into the crypto space, right? Yeah. So... We're going to see at least fifty percent adoption in crypto in the United States. I think in the next three to five years, right? Maybe even sooner than that. um And at least exposure, right? So indirectly, if you've got a four hundred one k and now you have a exposure to some sort of spot ETF, then you've got exposure to crypto, right? So that yeah. number should be around one hundred fifty million. I think that the the opportunity in Asia very much is that you know. I think um, one uh, adoption, because a lot of those currencies, inflation issues, having some sort of store of value, having some sort of hedge, having an ability to send money in USDT, USDC. So you know, even in the UAE, where the average salary for you know these migrant workers is probably a thousand USD a month, and they're sending probably fifty percent, sixty percent of that money home uh, yeah. to, to the wife and children and extended family. You know every dollar actually counts, right? So For if sure, you're yeah. like union and based on your salary, you know it's costing you five dollars to send money home. That's very meaningful. And if you can save five dollars by sending money home in stable coins um, and you now having fiat on ramp and off ramp uh, yeah. capability, that's meaningful to you, right? And yeah. uh, I think fundamentally, you know, these monopolies that have had an ability to charge extortionate fees. And you think about banks, right? You know, they charge you twenty five dollars for a transfer. They take three days doing it, and then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they do you a favor as well, right? You know, it's like, yeah. come on, yeah. How, you know, is this going snail mail, right? You know, how, why mm-hmm. does it take for three days, four days? It just it defies logic to me that you know, if you if you are sitting like in Dubai and you want to send money to the US and you're sending it conventionally through a bank, it's going to take you four days. You're going to get a terrible FX rate. You're yeah. just going to charge 30 dollars for doing it. Uh, it's just, just there's no justification for that. It's immoral, right? And you yeah. know, they've got to wait too long. So I think you know, um, crypto is a way to level the playing field in that. And I think for a lot of people in Asia, also, <clears throat> you know, if you can have a narrative that says, "Look, this is safe. It's regulated. People are not going to run off with your money." the people who are managing your ETF actually know what they're doing because they've built these solutions before they've managed them and i think in our ETF we're also going to be looking at doing additional products and services so sure. spot but in the future you're going to do lending you're going to do derivatives futures perpetuals so there's many other things that you can do within a regulated platform and the idea is really to focus our energies on emerging markets so you'll see the first one coming, you know, focused on Asia. Then you'll see an Ethereum one coming. Um, you'll see, you know, um, listings not only happening in places like the U.S., but we will look at you know, jurisdictions like London, Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. um, maybe Hong. Um, so, you know, um, I think um, this market can grow very, very rapidly because the capital is there, right? The capital is looking for a home. The capital is looking for. Uh, people that have experience and brand sure. trust yeah um, I think you know in Asia, the names like BlackRock for Retail mean nothing, right? so yeah. if you're sitting in Thailand as a retail consumer, Blackrock is going to mean nothing to you, but you know Siam Bank is going to mean something to you, right, largest bank in Thailand, King's Bank, you trust that bank, right? so if that bank is basically going to offer a spot bitcoin e t f um you know there's probably. 30 million people, 40 million people in Thailand that could potentially become a customer literally overnight on the back of yeah. partnering with bank So yeah. uh, we think about that, you know, um, relationships with leading institutions to help with distribution. Um, we feel that, you know, we can scale this ETF to be managing billions of dollars uh, in, in the next three to five years in, in these emerging markets.
0: Yeah, and it's... It's interesting that I keep coming back to the registration in the US because you can kind of think about it almost as like um, using the US registration as like a marketing sort of ploy to a degree, right? Like, look at all the hoops we jump through to be able to be traded in the US. Like, you know that you can you know, trust this product to your point earlier, uh, trust the service, like it's here for the long run. Like, we wouldn't invest all this time um to do all this regulatory work if you know we we're coming to rug you <laughs> so
1: well i mean the other problem is i've got to spend millions of dollars doing it right yeah, yeah. so you oh, know yeah
0: <laughs> you, you know, know you, you gotta pay the fee
1: and um kiss the ring yeah. and then
0: you can go do whatever you want but
1: <laughs> yeah i think you know i mean at the end of the day um you know the us depth of the capital market and also remember right the sec has not approved a spot bitcoin etf yet right so yeah. And people have been trying for nearly a decade, right? So yeah. it's not like this is just something that you know, started in June. This is something that's going back several years. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know uh, the SEC really worries about two things in particular. One is around market manipulation, and the second is around wash trading, right? Yeah. So these ETF applications really have to address those two points in a very meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Because you know, at the end of the day, the SEC is really worried about retail investors getting screwed, right? Yeah. So, you know, you have to have the safeguards in place. And, you know, at the end of the day, BlackRock is BlackRock, right? I mean, you know, it's a company that is one of the largest financial institutions in the world, right? So, you know, if, if BlackRock are doing a product in this space, then, you know, they've done their homework, they understand the market opportunity, um, and I think in Asia we also understand exactly what BlackRock understand that this is an unbelievably large opportunity to empower and give people access to this in a timely, safe manner, uh, which has been lacking. Right? I mean, you know, uh, yeah. all of us out have seen uh, in the last several years so many pump and dump schemes, where unfortunately yeah. retail has been left holding the bag. And, and you know, anything that brings more transparency, less risk, better compliance, better regulation to this space is is welcome. Yeah. Better, cheaper, faster. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, or actually, no, it's I got this from uh, another guy who was on the podcast. Safer, cheaper, faster is the acronym. If you can get that right, you can do a lot in financial services.
1: Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, even in, in TradeFi, a lot of that principle does, doesn't exist, right? Or doesn't yeah. get executed, right? So yeah. uh, when you think about the fees that people end up paying on, on some of these products, it's, it's just outlandish, right? But not everybody's reading, you know, the, the I's and T's, right? And uh, the sort of Halvetica 0.003, uh, which, is, which is hard to digest, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I and, mean, you know, they, um, Oh well, go ahead, finish. Well, I was just gonna say that you know they traditionally can get away with extortion of fees. I think, you know, um even on um um an ETF, right, for spot, I think you're gonna look at, you know, probably 0.5 bips to uh one, maybe, right? And 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 the reality is that <laughs> you know, if the if you've got a good team running it, the returns on, on the ETF should be pretty good. So I think um, you know it's about being prudent. It's about managing the downside, right, and and the upside, uh, and making sure whatever you know you you say in your prospectus you can actually deliver upon. So that to me is about you know just uh, having the right pricing model uh, and making sure that everybody can share in the upside, right? I think in my career, we've always tried to focus on investing in things that you know basically everybody wins, right? Um, it's not about uh, personal accumulation. It's about sharing the uh, the sort of outcomes with with all of your stakeholders.
0: Yeah, and I mean, as far as crypto goes, the community aspect is probably as important as anything, right?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a <clears throat> an interesting community, right? I mean, in the sense of it's tw- it is twenty four seven. You think about what other asset trades twenty four seven, right? I mean. Oh, people,
0: people don't care about emerging stocks the way they do, like Solana and Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like.
1: You know, I, I, you wake up, I mean, it's trading nonstop, right? And oh, yeah. it's interesting that, you know, during US trading hours, right? So when AJ is sort of done, the actual meaningful gains tend to happen in US trading hours, right? So it, it's US investors really driving uh, pricing uh, that we see. So, Asia tends to be relatively subdued from a trading volume perspective. And then New York wakes up and and suddenly, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's one of uh, Elon's
0: rockets taken off. Um, We're all uh, happy with that, right? So, uh, that's all uh, good. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, it'll be an interesting new year for sure. Um, There's this uh, ETF analyst that I follow on Twitter from Bloomberg, uh, James Seaford, I think is his name. Um, And he's been, I've been doing this a while. He's been doing great work on just sort of the tracking of the applications and like at the SEC's process and how many times they can, you know, delay before they have to render a decision, blah, blah, blah. But he seems fairly confident that, you know, early January, you could potentially get in, you know, the news and then that'll be an interesting chart to look at over 24 hours. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, I think a couple of things. It's a bit like the halving, right? It'll be sort of around April, but the real sort of ramifications of that don't kick in for at least a couple of quarters. Yeah. So even though you'll get the approval, actually getting the infrastructure, getting it operational live, could yep. take anywhere for six months. So, um, so the reality is, there is definitely going to be euphoria, right? Of like, yeah. finally, right? The gates are open. But then like any product, right, you've actually got to go out and sort of, you know, uh, build it, fund it, uh, and get it up and running. And that's so actually you won't see a live listed ETF till probably June at the earliest. Yeah, uh, you're going to live trading ticker and, and people being able to buy and sell. Uh, so it is going to take some time. But I genuinely think that um, the market is is, you know, knows the anticipation is there. They know it's coming. And and the reality is, is it is it January the 10th to the 12th that people talk about? Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, um, it may be worth hedging a little bit on that day, right? Sort of uh, you know, and leveraging maybe some of your Bitcoin with sure, yeah. that, uh the returns I think could be quite good. But the reality is it is coming. Um and I think um, you know, at least our understanding, having you know, sort of in the process of filing one ourselves and, and learning about this space. In a lot of detail, is that you know um, the SEC is really uh, concerned about market manipulation, uh, and if you can address those issues within your ETF and have the right safeguards and infrastructure in place, then these vehicles are going to get approved, right? And I think the yeah. SEC also fighting grayscale, right, and reappealing the decision um, that they can also convert theirs into a, a spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really admission that. Right. Okay. Right. This has to happen now. Yeah. It's a yeah, <laughs> timing. I mean, Gary the
3: Gensler,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, look, Gary Gensler has not been pro crypto. You know, it, a lot yeah. of it has driven geopolitically, You know, politically. Right. So, oh, yeah. you know, I think if you speak to people active in the community, um, you know, a lot of the guarantees that were being asked were designed for you to fail. Right. Specifically yeah. by see. Uh, and it's nice to see that, you know, that there is recourse in the United States system that even government agencies can be held to account. You can push back and, you know, they continue to sue the uh, Coinbase, right? And Coinbase yeah. continues back. So I think one of the the, the nice things is that you have uh, an environment that allows, you know, to push back against regulators. In in other countries, that's not the case. It's like, hey, this is the decision. Take it or leave it, right? Yeah, can in mind. Yeah. We look at XRP, right? Look at Ripple, and you know, I would say, Brad, you know, all credit due to, to stick it out and fight it, right? So many mm-hmm. other people just thrown in the towel, called it a day, and said, "I don't need this headache." And you know, he stuck with it, right? And and at the end of the day, you know, XRP has a real shot at becoming an infrastructure layer, right, going forward that fundamentally can be used by all the financial services globally. Yeah. So you know, if if that fulfills its objective, then you know it that's going to be a very very large and meaningful business going forward um and 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 you know in, in like a lot of legal cases it's really do you have the capital do you have the yeah. energy to, to stick with it you're right for, yeah. for several years and yeah so and and that's the power of community as well right you know it yeah. goes back to the community was was very adamant right that you know they were right and and that the sec was wrong and and it, it was proven at the end of the day that, you know, uh, Ripple was on the right side of the law, right, for, for what they were proposing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we've had some good news the last uh, six months or so. So, <laughs> Got to keep it I mean, going. I, I,
1: I, yeah, I definitely describe it as we are in crypto spring, right? So, sure, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, so I think winter is, is over, right? Uh, at least where I'm sitting in Dubai, where it's 28 degrees, uh, it feels yeah. like. We're heading into spring. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, I think 2024 uh, bodes well for, for all of us in this industry. I think, you know, the last two years have been quite challenging, right? Um, but I think now that FTX is out of the, the way, finance is out of the way, Three Arrows, Celsius, and oh, yeah. <laughs> all of the others, uh, you know, that were bad actors. And what it fundamentally shows is there are also good people in this ecosystem building great businesses, great oh, yeah. products. Uh, and you know, I, I think Web3 again is very much in its infancy. Uh, you're going to see, I think, the, the next wave of, of companies in the next couple of years that are building some great infrastructure and solutions around this space. Um, and you know, you, you're gonna hopefully see some of those companies become very meaningful businesses going forward. Um, you know. People will always ask me, uh, are NFTs coming back? And, and what does the sort of NFT of the future look like? Right. I think that's a hard one to call. Right. And sure, I think we have to be some sort of uh, bull run before I can see uh, open sea trading volume going back to anywhere where it was yeah. beforehand. But it's you know, probably not uh, a baiting aid yacht club. JPEG again. I was in Hong Kong, you know, three uh three three and a half weeks ago at uh Hong Kong FinTech Week and they had a board ape yacht party, right? So I thank yeah. God man, yeah am I missing something, right? You know, things uh and, and you know I have my own sort of you know yacht ape, right? You know, which I spent a fair amount of money on, right? And you know, yeah. now you know if I sold it on OpenSea, could be probably bought, you know, for a single thousand dollars, right? Yeah, yeah. Um so um I think uh, you know uh, you are going to see hopefully uh, the industry uh, having a, a good year in 2024, and I think that's going to be driven predominantly by sort of institutional adoption. Um, and you know, it's nice to see platforms and institutions like J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley using this technology to settle, you know, um, trades and bonds and all of that type of stuff. Uh, which is cumbersome time consuming expensive in current process mm-hmm. using dlt and blockchain and all of this stuff right and i think you know once that becomes more mainstream you'll hopefully have a change of heart in some of these trade finance companies as well yeah. to start adopting this uh in a more meaningful way so a lot of those institutions that i just mentioned are still not allowed to do stuff in the crypto space and particularly around retail, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think as as that institutional familiarity becomes uh, more embedded, they're going to have an opportunity then, I think, to, to start pushing out more retail products uh, in this space.
0: Yeah, I mean, kind of niche, but like the wealth management space in the US has definitely gone like very alternative heavy For a variety of reasons, the last like 10 to 15 years, which is great for people who can get access to those things. But the tokenization opportunity to allow like true retail access to a KKR fund on a fractional basis or something like that could be really powerful for people. They'll have to kind of noodle through, you know, accredited investor requirements and stuff like that.
2: But, you know, I mean, if,
0: if crypto is about opportunity like the amount of things you're going to be able to invest in is going to be nuts
1: <laughs> like... i think that's you know democratization um i think is a is a key topic right of, of financial services you know traditionally like pre-ipo stocks oh yeah were just the domain of high net worth individuals right you needed to have sort of millions of dollars of assets and I remember when sort of Uber, you know, was uh, sort of growing very, very rapidly. Everybody wanted pre-IPO Uber stuff, right? And at that time, you you know, unless you had 100 million with Goldman, right, you know, you you could not get it, right? And, you know, platforms like Forge Global have definitely sort of opened up that a little bit, right, with giving people uh, where traditionally you would need 250,000, those numbers are sort of becoming a little bit more reasonable. And then you have funds like Equiem, um, where I'm also a co-founder, um, and our friend uh, Ziad Makawi is building a, a great business, which is giving people also access to a multitude of pre-IPO companies using systematic investing in the private market space. And then also the founders of Forge that are building Destiny, which is like a BlackRock for private companies, which is going to be a listed vehicle, uh, which is launching next year. Which will allow you to use your 401k to get exposure to SpaceX and, and others yeah. and so forth so you're going to see this democratization where hopefully let's say somebody working in retail's got two thousand dollars sitting in the bank doing nothing can use uh, that money to basically get exposure to things like SpaceX and others, um, which I think is great it's great yeah. for wealth it's great for leveling the playing field and you know this should not be a domain just for the wealthy this should be democratized for everyone to be able to hopefully ride on on the success of of these great companies well everyone's going to want to be on that SpaceX IPO
0: um, so that will be an interesting one for sure um and maybe coming soon too like maybe Elon might need to get a little liquidity after this Twitter uh, X fiasco so we'll see um
1: but uh, uh interesting right i mean yeah. uh, it i mean just on the IPO thing uh, just a, a thought here. Think about this, right? That you know, SpaceX doesn't need to IPO. Right? It can raise as much money as it wants and continue to do that in the right. private market. Yeah. But on the other side, look at a company like Stripe, right? Which at its peak was valued at around ninety billion. Then there was a, a sort of a, a another raise in in January of this year, which was like at the sort of sixty billion dollar valuation. Mm-hmm. But if you look at where Stripe is trading today, it's probably half of that, right? So. Yeah the the challenge I think for the IPO market is if Stripe cannot go public, then really anything else in tech meaningfully can also not go public, right? Yeah. Um, so there is this disconnect till the markets come back that you know some of these uh, unicorns, you know, either you know were overvalued, have either had to grow into their valuation or you know consider you know down rounds, right? Of some some because you know. Yeah. Some, um, because it, you know 2021 november was when private markets were at their peak right and then Mm -hmm. really when the Fed started raising interest rates everything started to to go south um but yeah uh, the
0: the tech shakeout will be interesting as well there's i mean a lot of interesting things going on in tech uh just from like you know, money getting more expensive and firings happening like Spotify just laid off like 17 percent of its global workforce like this week. So that is an interesting Christmas gift.
1: Um, but and I have a question for you. Where, where do you see sort of IPOs in 2024? Do you think it's going to be a bit like 2023 or do you see the IPO market coming back? You know, I honestly don't
0: follow it closely, right. at least as far as the U.S. goes. We have to get through this presidential race first. Everything's going to stop, um, I think, next year until we get a beat on who our next fearless leader is going to be. Um,
1: who, who do you think that's going to be? I mean, I'm non-American, right? So uh, do you have a view on um, I who's going to be the next president? My dark
0: horse scenario is that Trump is elected while in prison. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, if if you look at the polls, and I, I follow politics fairly closely, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts here in the states too, from left and right, and get I think I have a slightly nuanced view of where things sit. But um, Trump is leading in the general election runoff right now against Biden by like two points. So that is quite the swing from even six months ago. Um, there's no one in the Republican primary field who's they're all running for second place in a cabinet position at this point. They I mean it's, it's you know, crazy things could happen. Like Trump could get shot. Like, you know, we could end yeah, up. In I trouble. mean, you know, right. it's uh, interesting you say that.
1: Uh I actually think Vivek will become Trump's running mate. Right? I can see it for sure. He's like Trump Jr., like he's yeah, Trump Jr. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I can't remember, uh, but somebody said to me the other day. And <laughs> there was um somebody had done an analysis of how many times Trump had lied in office and it was thirty thousand times, right? I mean, just factual lies, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you can sort of, you know, you know, if you're a kid and you're fibbing, right? You know, you yeah. get a clipper up here, right? You know, uh, but thirty thousand times just means that it's just it's just normal, right? It's just well, yeah, that's, it, yeah.
0: that's just how he thinks. That's just he's talking, right? And <laughs> like <laughs> And what is true in
1: his head in the moment is what is true right now for you <laughs> uh, yeah but and, i think that, that's that that's what's scary actually right that yeah. at the end of the day um you know integrity is the biggest asset you can have as a human being and um if you don't have integrity which unfortunately trump does not have in any way shape or form
3: yeah
1: uh, to leave that office right and, and well, you know, yeah. Biden's got on that basis. That's that's shocking yeah. in my
0: view. But, you know, Like he, you said, stranger things have happened, right? He's, I mean, both of them are... The interesting thing about some of the polling numbers, too, is basically every person in the U.S. is screaming for any other matchup than what we're going to be force-fed. So, um, Trump-Biden will probably
2: happen. Everyone's going to hate it, but they're going to you know
0: close their eyes and just pick and we'll right. see. I mean, we'll see. But um, as far as my take on where the U S sits, I mean, I don't think anything really happens here until we clear up the election and then we really get a good beat on what's going to happen with inflation. Cause Powell's having trouble keeping uh, things, you know, allegedly tight enough as far as financial conditions go. Um, the market's already trying to price in when they start cutting rates. And if they have to do an about switch and like drop rates by 100, 200 basis points in a year or so, like inflation's going to go gangbusters. It's going to be wild. Um, right. At least that's my take. You know, my uninformed take is like an observer of markets, but
2: I don't know. And I personally start
0: to wonder if we're getting close to the point where Debt matters at the sovereign level.
1: Because um, I think it does. I think, it does. I, I think it's unsustainable going forward in this, you know. I mean, circus of every six months when they have to raise the debt yeah. ceiling. I mean, yeah, you know, it does make the U.S. look like a banana republic, somewhat, right? It's just like you know. I mean, you yeah. you think you'd have better prudent planning, right? On you know, we know what the debt is. We know where it's going. Yeah. You would <laughs> you think you know you would think um
0: yeah i mean that's that's the question though but in my adult career if i've you know i've been kind of watching markets closely for 10 plus years like i've been looking for this like sovereign debt crisis for a while and we haven't really seen it yet i mean the macro people tell you and the economists at least in the us they can print away as much money as possible so there's never going to be like a true default it's just at what point, I guess, does the populace riot about the level of inflation, which I don't think we know. Um,
1: but I, I read the other day, somebody said that there was zero inflation in the U.S. That's bullshit. Uh, that, is, that's what I thought. that is such a <laughs> such a lie. Like, I can show
0: I can show you my mint account from, you know, a year ago, <laughs> two years ago. Just look at the grocery number. I know. That, that is not true. Uh, you know,
1: and the irony was I was sitting with somebody who just said, Oh, I've just been to Whole Foods, man, and he's a bachelor living on his own. He said it was three hundred and fifty dollars, man. Oh yeah. So and, yeah. you know, and that's gonna him like half a week, right? So it's just Oh yeah, yeah it's, it's nuts. says it's, it's, it's not zero inflation, that's for sure,
0: right? So, yeah, it's nuts. Like we go to Costco, my wife and I, uh at least once a month, and we're batting about four or five hundred a trip yeah. just at Costco. And you know. That's usually never enough, anyway, like it happens like clockwork, so um, I don't know, we'll see. I mean there's an opera all that to say to answer your question. there's an opportunity to like figure this out. I feel like I mean, if it takes Powell just going back in nineteen seventies fifteen percent on the ten year and just crushing inflation, maybe um it's gonna hurt, but I think
2: one thing that. The US is going to do is protect the dollar.
0: They're not they're not gonna let that go without a fight. So um and if it means tanking tech stocks, they will sacrifice Facebook all day. <laughs> so
1: I, I I agree.
0: Yeah. So I agree we will see. Um but yeah, we could probably keep talking about this forever. Um and it's now past my bedtime, so <laughs> um <laughs> no
2: worries.
1: Uh, yeah, No
0: this was great um yeah welcome back anytime if you want to throw out where people can find you what uh if they want to get in contact or whatever um feel free yeah
1: Yeah, thank you my friend i'm on twitter and uh nudge same uh for telegram and our fund is c1fund.com with a numerical one uh ben great talking to you thanks for having me on the podcast really enjoyed it uh and wishing you a very merry christmas and happy holiday season and Hopefully, a great 2024 for us in in the crypto space. Oh yeah, Take same care. to you. Same to you. Yeah, we'll
0: uh we'll definitely have you back for sure. Um, there will be lots to catch up on. Forward <laughs> to
3: it. Have a great holiday. Take yeah. Yeah.